Hey folks, hope your Q3 and Q4 is off to a good start. We just wrapped up Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. Hundreds of bootstrap founders showed up. It was an amazing time. I loved meeting so many of you. This interview today is a recording from that session, which you're going to love because now we have visuals, we have the founder teaching, and I made every single speaker include their revenue graphs and real artifacts in their presentations. Without further ado, let's jump in. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Welcome, Bo, to the stage with Contentino. All right, Bo, take it away. Give everyone an overview. Let them know what you're working on. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for inviting me here. Uh, as Nathan mentioned, uh, my name is Bo. I'm the CEO of a social media management tool called Contentino. Uh, we've been helping agencies and brands, advertisers, for over past years uh, to make their work more effective. So if you think about all other social media tools out there in the space, uh, they are more like single player solutions. Uh, we are the multiplayer solution. So we are like Hootsuite and Asana having a baby. Uh, so, uh, but as you all might know, social media management, it was for the past 10 years and even more, it was all about organic content. And what's been happening for the past year, year and a half, it's a huge market shift. Uh, the organic content, the organic reach is that. Uh, sometimes you can get nice reach on LinkedIn or maybe TikTok, but all other platforms, it's pretty hard to get a good reach. So all advertisers are basically uh, shifting their campaigns toward paid ads, paid social ads, not just boosting the content, not just promoting the organic content, but doing actual paid ads. And this is when content, you know, comes very handy. For the past uh, year, we've been uh, analyzing, building the MVP of our new feature sets uh, to help help advertisers uh, tackle down those challenges when they are creating and approving on social ads. So we about the problems here. So uh, you have uh, you have advertising who needs to have everything in one place, like social media management tools. Back in the days, you want to see. Facebook and Twitter uh, in one calendar. Now they want to see Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Quora in one campaign view so they can see what campaigns they are running at the moment. What's also super challenges is, and, and this is what's happening also in the market, past few years, everyone was putting all their eggs into one basket, meaning Meta, Facebook and Instagram. Almost most of the advertisers were spending their money in Meta. In the past year, and we could see that in, a, in actually second quarter uh, reports of the social platforms, their ad revenues of Meta was slowing down terribly. But TikTok, Pinterest, Quora, you could see the growth of the ad revenue. So what's happening is that the advertisers are doing budget splits. They're spending more and more money to several different, uh, different social platforms so they can have uh, more and more uh, touch points. So that's where we come in handy we can show them everything in one place. 
Uh, plus, the approval process is much more complicated uh, within the social ads. Uh, within the organic, you are approving only the content, but within the social ads, you are approving also the budget, targeting criteria, and several other attributes. So it's getting much more messier, and uh, it's just painful. And then uh, this is the these are the, some of the screenshots are what our clients have sent to us. Uh, basically, this is how they do. This is how they work. They go to Excel files, they prepare the headline, subheadline, copy, they put somewhere the images and videos, and then they approve the content somehow in the Excel file. And then, usually performance specialists, they'll come in to the Excel file and manually copy-paste everything from the cheat to the business manager to the TikTok ad platform and many others. So imagine how super wasteful it is for this very usually expensive uh, specialist to do such a manual work. With Contentino, basically, we solve all of these problems. You've got a nice overview, you approve everything in one platform, and with one click of a button, you basically launch your campaign. Uh, about a competitor, this reminds me of times five years ago when we started Contentino. Uh, basically, we were somewhere in the middle. You've got uh, teamwork and approval solutions, and then you've got, nowadays you've got solutions who are focused more on planning and maybe optimizations like Hootsuite. They, uh, they uh, acquired AdEspress a few years ago. Uh, I thought that they might focus more on the paid ads. Not really happening. For the past year, they started to build a quite an interesting uh, solution for the paid ads. But again, it's still more integrated within their planning platform. They are not solving the collaboration problems and challenges. That's why we are comparing Hootsuite is the Adobe and we are trying to be the Figma in a space. Uh, and then you've got the other tools like Smartly, Metricool, who are more for the e-commerce segment, less than what we do. We are more for brands and uh, the B2C segment. Uh, so yeah, uh, we are capital efficient bootstrap, 2 million ARR, uh, we've got a quite a nice NPS score, we've been the fastest growing tech company in Slovakia two years in a row. Uh, yeah, we've got a nice client base, we're going to use this as a cross-sell opportunity because these tools, the core of Contentino and Ads Planner are very complementary, it's part of the one product. And yeah, we don't want to basically uh, be bootstrapped anymore. Uh, we want to play a different game because we don't want to play the college football. We want to win the Super Bowl. Uh, that's why we decided to raise capital for the first time. Uh, this is the team. All combined, we have over 50 years of experience. Uh, we have headcount uh, 45 employees. We actually grew the headcount from 18 to 45 within like 10 months. Uh, now you might be asking, like, how can we offer uh, afford? Uh, 45 employees with 2 million ARR. Uh, we are based in Central Europe, so we are quite capital efficient uh, in this sense. And yeah, we are asking uh, to raise 2.5 million in exchange for 17.7, sorry, 16.7%, which is basically uh, 50 million dollars post money uh, valuation. Very important. Uh, how we're going to use the investment? Uh, we want to inject. Uh, the product development and really speed up the process. Currently, we have MVP with a couple of early uh, testers. Uh, we also have uh, over 100 agencies on the waiting list waiting for this product to be ready to use. Uh, and we want to speed up the product development. But not only the product development, we want to hire an experts uh, who would help us to become more PLG. We are having already a couple of growth loops working, but the product is going to be really the key uh, revenue driver. And then, of course, uh, the marketing part. 
All right, guys, give Bo a round of applause. There's the pitch. <clears throat> so I'll grab this. You come over here. Yep. All right. Um, so now we want to meet the uh, meet the investors here. By the way, um, I've already. You sure you don't want debt, right? Just, it's always there, it's always an option. If you don't get a deal you like, we can do a million against your two, 36 month payback period and pretty cheap interest rate, but we'll get to that later. All right, um, um, so great, uh, great pitch here. Let's let's meet the sharks. Okay, so first up, you just heard from David. I, that's why we presented it this way. You heard exactly how he thinks about acquisitions. He walked you through his full matrix. So David, David will work his way up to the stage now and grab one of the seats. Um, the second investor, Nisha, go ahead and work your way up here as well. Uh, Nisha is with uh, is with Inside Venture Partners um, up in New York. Which David, it sounds like with Vanilla, you guys just did it. Did you do a deal? You're doing with Insight. All right, Nisha, you're not on his board at Vanilla or anything, right? Nothing crazy. All right, not yet. Oh, she said not yet. She wants more equity. He's coming in for more. So we'll meet Nisha in a second again. Uh, pick a seat, guys, and then. Um, Third, we'll have uh, we'll have Scott work his way to the stage with Canberra Partners, uh, and again they each talk about their experience here in a second. And then lastly, we will have where's Justin? Justin's in the room somewhere. Justin will work his way to the stage as well, um, who's with a group called Forest. So on that note, um, investors, I'm going to go down the line real quick um, and just talk about your capital source real quick. A lot of founders, when they're raising capital, they've never asked this question. And I think it's really important want to know the money behind them behind the money. So David, how are you? Search fund? What? How are you buying companies? Yeah. So so today, well, today we're deploying our own capital. Um, so it's a kind of small family office. And then Nisha, yeah. I'm at an institutional venture fund. So our LPs are um, pension funds, schools, the likes of that. Hundred million dollar fund one. We actually invest off of our own balance sheets, so we're the ones that have direct, you know, skin in the game. I mean, I'm very envious of Forrest because they were one of the early investors in McKell at Supermetrics, which is just an incredible bootstrap SaaS story. So really good group of folks up here. Um, Bo, do you understand the money behind the money? Any questions about sources of capital? No, not so far. Okay. Ooh, here we go. Setting the stage. We just dim the lights, change the purple to red, and let's rock and roll. Um, so, so again, you see all the investors have the decks, right? Which are um, all basically Bo's finances. So, Bo, I think the best way to do this for the so the audience can sort of play along here. We've got your profit and loss up on the stage. Sort of walk through. Um, maybe this isn't big enough for everybody, but do your best to walk through revenue today and expenses. Maybe let's go to another slide because those numbers are a little bit. You, you drive. Bigger. Yep. But if you talk too long, I'll have to take it back to move it along, okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, so basically, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but uh, the story is that we are pretty capital efficient. We've got over 700,000K uh, of profit in a bank account uh, laying cash. Last year, we decided to put it back in a company, reinvest it, and to speed up the, uh, speed up the growth. But what's been happening, basically, we... Uh, increase the headcount, of course. Uh, we could see a beautiful growth in a net gross MRR in the Q4 and Q1, uh, which you, I'm not sure if you can see in any of these slides, but no. But uh, yeah, uh, this is basically the snapshot of June 2022. June 2022 was not ideal. I don't know why Nathan put this slide there, but maybe uh, if I would show you the January, February, or March, those numbers were much, quite much better. Well, but Bo, yep. June is more recent. Why would you sell the company on old data? It, it's, it's a summer season. Don't throw season, the slide know? guy under the bus. Come on. Yeah. I mean, during the summer, we've got always, it, it's everyone is went uh, going to holidays. So <laughs> the summer season is not the ideal. 
All right. Uh, well, let's leave it here and let's just go down the line. First question from, from each investor. Justin, you want to kick us off? You got a question for Bo? Yeah, absolutely. I was just curious if there's any revenue concentration. And then secondly, where are geographically the majority of your customers? Uh, revenue con concentration, you mean like if we have kind of a big clients, like enterprise clients, we, we don't have like one client paying 20% of our MRR. No, uh, actually 10% uh, of our MRR comes from enterprise. Uh, the other are basically SMB mid-market. That's our sweet spot. Uh, geographically, uh, well, we are based in Central Europe, so uh, we are pretty strong in Europe, especially in uh, Belgium, Netherlands, uh, Central Europe area, uh, Northern Europe. Uh, so we tackle down a lot of small markets. Uh, the reason why we are such a strong player in such small markets is because it was easier for us to, to create a word of mouth uh, in those areas. So we never actually aspire to go like for Germany or France or, or UK because those markets with the capital we had were kind of big for us. So so this was our strategy. That's where we are strong. Uh, we got like 10% clients from US. Uh, they all come organically. But again, it was never our, our focus for now, until now, to go for a big All big right, market. Scott, take it away. Fire question. Can you tell us breakdown between sales and marketing? And second, are you a free trial or a demo funnel? Uh, we are free trial. We have uh, over 60% of our new clients coming from uh, with no touch point. So it's all self-served. Uh, and the uh, first question was... How many trials per month and breakdown of sales versus marketing? We've got over 500 to 600 trials a month right now. And we don't really have, we don't have the sales team. We've got a customer success team who are basically divided into hunters and farmers and hunters are focused more on the identifying the high quality leads so then they can demo them. Uh, but we don't do inbound or anything like that. And then Nisha, you, you get ready for your question, but I'm gonna steal the slide deck because I have your slides memorized and I'll go to the slides that support your answer. So you can, okay, go ahead. Um, did you change your pricing structure or something in March of 2022? I noticed that your churn had changed pretty dramatically in April. In April 2022 this year? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I've got my CFO sitting right here. So, do, do <laughs> well, you know here, right here, here. Look at this. What this happened one in right April? CFO here. Yeah, yeah. His name is Michael. <laughs> it, the, it, there was no price change. Uh, it was just fluctuation because some months uh, are we have higher churn rate, and some months we are lower churn rate. It's, it's mostly we we are high churn rate. Uh, in the uh, in the January and December, January, those February, are the January, and also in December, you know when agencies are deciding about budget and and stuff like that. So, and what's the monthly churn rate? A uh, one point nine percent MRR. Okay. Um, in average, in average. Can can you tell me a little bit about your pricing strategy? Um, it seems very low. Yeah, very good question. I mean, we are we call ourselves budget friendly, but. Uh, we are cheap uh, comparing to all other tools. So as a matter of fact, this year we are changing uh, our pricing structure completely. Uh, one reason is that our ARPA is $130 a month, which is not ideal. Uh, we are planning to increase it up to 350 within a year and a half. Uh, secondly, our net dollar retention is 99%. Uh, we want to have at least 110% net dollar retention. That's why we are changing pricing so people, so the accounts and agencies can upgrade much easily because right now they can upgrade only based on number of users but we're going to flip it and so they can upgrade based on the features they are actually paying for 
So the pricing will be changed this year. Okay, great. So we, the, what we'll do is see the 451 countdown, keep asking questions, uh, product market. After that countdown's done, we'll switch to like valuation questions, right? How you think about valuation, things like that. So get as much data you can on the business right now. Can you describe if you have several modules or maybe what was the original product? What's the product you're selling today and what's the product you're kind of pitching in the future? Yeah. Uh, so basically the, the calendar and approval process and the Kanban view, uh, the workflow management was the core. Uh, then we added analytics uh, and reporting. So we wanted to provide more data, but not just reporting, just here you go, there's your numbers, but we want to provide the data more in context. So it's quite, quite, an easy, quite unusual analytics we have. Uh, and then we've got community management. Uh, we kind of deprecated feature for now, but we might get back to that. And then uh, the ads plan, basically focusing on the ad sector. And that's coming soon. What is when is that coming? Uh, currently, we have MVP. Uh, we are expecting to have hundreds of active users this year, but uh, the minimal market of a product will be ready uh, most likely January. Uh, so that's where we want to launch. We are already generating leads and generating interest, so we have a lot of uh, users on the waiting list. Uh, but we want to make sure that the launch is going to be spot on, so we don't do any. We just didn't have the pro even though the, the the chains were coming, we knew about the trends changes. We didn't have the product ready for that. But this is one of the hypotheses. It might be also, uh, yeah, uh, we can talk about it maybe later in more details. All right, guys. Any other any other details you want on the business before I? Uh, usually we have uh, smaller accounts churning. Uh, so basically they're project based or they lost clients or they shift their focus. Uh, so it's rarely that we have clients with more than 200 in uh, MRR churning. And if they do, uh, usually it's that there's a big fluctuation of people in the advertising agency. So someone leaves the, leaves the company and then someone else will replace them and they're already using some different tool. And basically if they are team leaders, they will say, we will use this. So that's very common, common reason. All right, very cool. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna reset the shot, reset the shot clock in the back to 20 minutes. We'll enter sort of uh, more negotiation period now. Bo, I'm gonna try and wrap this up in a sexy bow just so the audience can follow along. So 2021 total revenue was $711,000, right? I'm reading off your slides, so if this is wrong, it's not oh. my fault. Uh, no, this is that's 2021. Well, it's done. So year to date should be the full year, right? Is that right, Bo? 711 CFO, 711,000. Ah, uh, I see. What so was 2021 total revenue? It was 1 million uh, 500, 700, something like that. Okay, that, let's call it 1.1.6. 1. 1. And how much have you already done this year in revenue? This year is re in revenue, it's, well, ARR, it's uh, 2 million something. But you've already collected 2022 year to date through uh, May, nine about a million, right? Yes. Right? Yes. That's right. Cool. So, million. So, you think you'll finish this year at about how much in ARR? Uh, we will have most likely two point three. Two point three. So, a little, a little under doubling, right, year over year at this size. Um, uh, bootstrap. Do you guys see some of the growth? So, again, let's go into sort of the. Let's actually repeat the ask. So, what are you looking for? Uh, two point five million for uh, fifty million valuation. 
one five million valuation. So obviously, guys, valuations markets are changing by the day. Scott, why don't you kick us off here? How how do you think about just valuations in general, and how would you think about valuating this business? You know, I think the positives are organic growth. You haven't tapped all the potential growth levers. You're not investing in sales. There's probably pricing opportunity. So, kind of as David was saying, when you look at it, you see potential that hasn't been fully achieved, and I think that's attractive. I think some things that, you know, perhaps work against you a little bit. You know, it's on the small side from a scale perspective for us. Ninety-nine、um, percent net retention is. You know, probably not the end result of where you will get to, but probably not as high as you might like it.、Um, if you were two to five million revenue with this kind of ARPA, the other thing I would say is you're around social and martech, and you're not an ad tech platform. But these lines are kind of blurred in the eyes of customers, and a lot of them are spending ad dollars or campaign budgets to buy tools like this, which is a way to buy software that doesn't require as much approval or buy off internally. And That can result in lower retention. So, I look at it and say it's it's kind of in the four to five x range、um, today. All right, let's let that sit as an open loop and go over to Nisha. Nisha, how how are you? How's Insight? How are you guys thinking about valuations generally, and then specifically to Bo's business? Yeah, I mean, I think given where you are right now, you have most of your growth ahead of you. So definitely, we'd be valuing you on kind of what's the potential ahead.、Um, I think. End market is a little tricky here. Selling into agencies are super fickle. You're going to see a lot of problems with your retention over time. So I think what we'd want to see to get really excited is really strong top line growth,、um, and especially in new logo growth or new seat growth.、Um, so I think that'll come when you kind of unleash some of these more modular products and can sell more seats.、Um, so right now, I think I'd probably agree with what you said in the four to five range. Cool. Yeah.、Um, I, the first thing I would look at is. Is this business venture fundable right now? And I would challenge you and say no, right?、Um, so maybe it's not the best time to raise. Like I, I don't, the valuation kind of seems right. Like maybe somewhere in that range, I, I'd probably peg it a little bit lower.、Um, but I think the question you should be asking is: Is this venture fundable today?、Um, and I don't think these are the the right metrics necessarily、um, for that. And then two, you know, thinking about the addressable market, the. To your point about the agencies, I think that's a problem. It can be overcome, right? There's people that have made a lot of money doing that,、um, but looking at your website, it's not clear that that's even your customer, right? So I, I would be very clear on your messaging and marketing about that to to put that at the forefront and, and make that very clear. And then, then to the point about pricing, the pricing is just far too low, right? Like at two hundred dollars, I'm like, this doesn't seem valuable, like.、Uh, It doesn't like. There's not enough there that I'm even going to consider it if I'm spending reasonable amounts of money on social. Yeah, I, I agree.、Uh, I mean, maybe answer the question regarding the advertising segment. Forty、uh, percent of our clients are businesses,、uh, and we can see that a lot of businesses are creating internal advertising teams within the business.、Uh, so that might.、Uh, let's see how the market will look in the future. So, so I, I would so- say that that's a problem. Right, like y- you should be 100% in at this stage, at this size, on one of those markets. Right? Don't worry about diversifying that revenue. Win at one of them. If it's businesses, that's fine. If it's agencies, that's fine. But right now, the messaging is all over the place. So it, it's it's hard to know what it is. And I bet that translates into product, which is not clear. This is 
maybe disadvantage and advantage in the same time because the product is super flexible the way that even brands and agencies can use it completely the same way so we are not uh, when we are building the product we are not preferring one segment over the other uh, we are building it for the teams and for the collaboration it's it's very very same uh, for both of these uh, worlds so David when you say under four sorry I'm right behind you straight back oh. when you say four or five uh, sorry under four or five X like are you talking like uh, I mean, if I, if I was valuing this at the stage today and the current losses, um, non-venture fundable, it's a different category. So, you know, if you look at those that fund this, it would be kind of 2x range, okay, roughly. Two, 2x, cool. And then let's go down to Justin. Justin, how as far as think about valuations in general today? And then again, specific to Contentino and Bo. <laughs> no worries. Um, I mean, in terms of just valuations overall, I mean, it depends heavily on the type of business and a lot of it at this stage is based on the KPIs and I think David hit a lot of good points just in terms of you know might not be at that stage yet and I agree with a lot of the different valuation ranges that have already been shared um, but I see this you know somewhere in that you know two to three range but I also think that David did hit on a lot of good points where I think this business has the potential it's just a matter of getting to that stage and defining what market you're in I'd also want to see it proven out against. You mentioned Hootsuite is kind of the dinosaur of the industry. You know, have you gone up against them yet? And have you won? Have you taken over their market share? Have you displaced these dinosaurs? You know, I'd want to be able to see, I think, a little bit more of the business maturity in that sense before we kind of really dove into anything further. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And, and that's what I was saying at the beginning. Like, we made a lot of mistakes in the past. The, I, I'm aware that the growth rate and, and the numbers are not ideal, but we are looking at it more as a future and the potential what we can get out of this business because we've been in this business for five years. There's a huge market shift happening and we want to just jump on the trade wave and just serve that. So, And Bo, you've been very resourceful getting into two million without having to raise any capital versus some pre-seed deals where folks are raising with no revenue. So it's obviously, it's a balancing act. Um, here's what we're gonna do. We want to give you guys quiet time. We're gonna have to be thinking on the spot, answering random questions to actually think about what does four or five X mean or two X or one X, you know, if that two million run rate, is that a, you know, is that a five million? Is that a 10 million? Like what's that offer potentially look like? So while you guys do that, Bo, do you want to respond at all? And then we'll do two to three minutes of audience questions while you guys are thinking about, you're, you want to basically make a statement that says, you know, Bo, I would sort of value this business at Y. Um, we could do, you know, X amount of money at that valuation and then we'll be in negotiation. And if uh, Bo says no or there's high low, then it'll be out and investors will walk off the stage and it'll sort of go like that. Sound good? I mean, that's, that's the way to do it, right? Right? I mean, that's, that's how it works. It's just in real life, they just don't return your emails, right? So <laughs> at least we can... By the way, response time at FounderPath, under 30 seconds. No, just kidding. Um, uh, you see what I did here? You know, you just you know, structure this in. So, so let's do this. So, so you guys take your time. You're no, no spotlight on you guys. You just sort of analyze your decks, think about what your offers are. Bo, you want to make any sort of statements after hearing the comments from the, show, the, the investors? I mean, uh, yeah, they were right in some way. Uh, they were wrong in the other way. Uh, yeah, it's, it's more about... <laughs> <laughs> but but it's really about the potential. Like uh, I, I can see uh, the social ad space; it's, it's growing. When you think about it, uh, this this market is not going anywhere. The social platforms are going to work uh, greatly on their social ads platforms because that's their main source of revenue. They're going to provide any kind of APIs to tools like us, which can help them to bring the revenue for uh, yeah so so this is this is something what we really think that it's gonna stay here for a lot of years uh, and uh, we just gonna be there and we wanna we wanna conquer the market and pioneer because again uh, 
the collaboration and the multiplayerization of the world, it's, it's happening. Figma is a beautiful example of it. What is Figma? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, if you're going to go the VC route and sell the vision, you got to really sell the freaking vision. So in two years, how much revenue are you doing and, and what's, it, what's the product going to look like? In, two, in television? No, in two years. What oh. does Contentino look like? What do you think you'll be doing in revenue in two uh, years? We predicted it. And we, have, we are very, uh, how to say, prudential when it comes to uh, predictions. Maybe it's the mindset we have, the bootstrap mindset, but we, we have it for 50 million, if not, I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And does product look generally the same or what's, what's the next product release? Uh, that's the ads planner. Ads plan. All right. So two, two years, 50 million revenue. Audience questions for two or three minutes here. All right. Take it away. Um, if you reflect on the past few months, uh, what's the biggest mistake you've made and uh, how do you plan on fixing it or how have you fixed it? That's definitely the, the focus of the whole company, trying to release three things in the same time and building three things in the same time. Uh, the estimations when we were planning to release them were completely off charts uh, and it's probably that we were unexperienced. We never decided that, okay, we're gonna hire 45 people. We're gonna be 45 people in 10 months. So, so yeah, definitely focus on one thing. If we would focus on one thing at a time, uh, the net gross MRR would look definitely different. Hey Bo, so can you help us understand how the recent privacy changes have not only affected MarTech and AdTech, but your product roadmap and the recent pivot? Yeah, this actually plays in our favor because the attribution of the user journey is getting more and more difficult. So those optimization tools, what I just showed you on the, on the slide, they will most likely have a problem. What brands are doing and how they are kind of tackling down these privacy policy ch challenges is that they're focusing on top level, uh, on, on top of the funnel. So instead of having uh, ads only on Facebook, now they are splitting the budget that they want to have as many touch points as possible on top of the funnel. And that's where we come handy. Like you want to have uh, ads on Reddit, Quora, even on, pla on platforms they never advertised before. So this is what's happening on the market right now. Hi, both. Kudos to you to be uh, standing there in front of uh, this crowd and uh, hats off to you. I raised my Series A and I freaked out. Um, so uh, my question to you is, uh, who are your competitors at the moment? And how, if Hootsuite, uh, who has a lot of money, decided to do what you're doing uh, and disrupt you, what would be your counteract? That's one of the reasons why we want to grow much faster and, and asking for investment. We, want to, we, we don't want just the money. We are looking for strategic partners who can help us to tackle down some of the usual growing challenges, who can connect us with people from the social, social side, social networks. Uh, I mean, yeah, we are low-tech solution. We are easy to replicate. But with Contentino, uh, it took them four to five years to actually add some of the features we had in the past. So Hootsuite actually they created some kind of approval, very clunky process in their platform five years or four years after we launched Contentino. So it took them a while for some reason. Yeah, I, I have a product question. Your, your biggest customers that are spending the most money in social, what are, they, uh, what are some of the funnel insights that you feel like they've come across? And do you feel like they've come across those insights faster with your product or do you think that they would have just found the insights individually um, in the respective platforms? D thank you. Uh, if I understand the question correctly, if we are helping to find 
if we are helping our customers to better understand their numbers and insights, right? Yeah, I mean, just any any parts of the funnel that you see. I mean, are people um, driving customers a particular way with insights they reveal with your product? I mean, anything that you feel has been revealed and just your product and what it's allowed people to do and some insight stories. Anything to that? Yeah. Insight, insight stories regarding our product or our users who a really cool use case that a really from cool your use users. Case. Yeah. Uh, one use case is when actually IKEA came to us and they said, uh, "Guys, we are creating an international content, and this content is being localized to 40 different regions and 40 different countries." So basically, uh, we said, "Like, hey, cool! This is this is happening to all other big corporates." So we created, this is the only enterprise feature we have actually. And all together with IKEA, we created uh, a system or workflow where they could with one click of a button, basically localize all the global content to all these different regions. So this was a cool, cool success story we had and collaboration with, uh, with IKEA from the beginning. Um, and yeah, I don't Very know if that answered the, <laughs> answered the question. Very good, Bill. Cool. All right, so before we get into valuation stuff, I do have a question actually from New York. Uh, Scott, did you guys end up doing a deal with Pablo and Kabula? No. Couldn't get there? Couldn't get there. Couldn't get there. All right, we tried. It felt good in New York. We did the same thing. What were you? How many millions were you off by? He took money Gra from... Grab the mic, grab the mic. He had a good offer from individuals, from angels, and so the valuation was pretty far apart. Um, but it was a smaller round and it'll last, you know, a shorter amount of time. And I think maybe that conversation will happen again at that point. That's code for saying he'll come back to us. He'll come back to our one X. He'll come back to our one X offer. Um, all right. Just kidding, Scott. Okay, cool. So, so now what we want to do is get into the phase where there's sort of actually, you know, numbers being used. I will say the caveat here, obviously guys is, um, we want these guys thinking as if they were actually doing a deal live. This is, none of this is obviously binding, right? Things have to happen off stage, but I really want you guys thinking as if this was an actual deal, you know, you're running diligence back at your offices and think about it that way. So, um, on that note, uh, well, Justin, since you have the mic, why, why don't we start with you, right? So what, what would you sort of offer? Can you get to 2.5 on 15? pre so just wanted to just state so ferris is not a lead investor we write smaller checks somewhere between 50 to you know 250k where we feel as though that we can really add value being you know a part of the company and helping them you know execute on that growth i think here i do see a fit in the sense of you know we just helped a company transact that was a digital influencer agency which is your you know essentially end customer so i feel like there is value there we're you know very experienced in this space but you know we're not the ones that are drafting the term sheets, setting the price. Um, but I do feel as though that you know, given the correct valuation, um, where we can get comfortable around, it'd be something that we'd be interesting in writing a small check in. So Justin, what would the correct valuation be that you would be comfortable at investing 250k in? I'll see what they say, but I would say somewhere around that, probably two to three x range. Which would be about what valuation in dollars? About five to six million. All right, five to six pre money. Correct. All right. So five to six pre to 2.5. But again, they don't do 2.5. They do 250K max. So let's see if one of the other investors have thoughts here. Scott, what are you thinking? I don't see it as a standalone investment for us at this time, but we are an investor in another software business that sells to the same customers, has about 12,000 customers. I'd estimate about 15% are agencies. The rest are B2C, online retailers, online businesses, brands. And uh, it's probably seven, eight times larger than yours and growing at like 60%. So I think it has a pretty decent um, profile. 
So I don't want you to leave here without an offer in hand. We would offer to have that company buy Contentino with the assumption that you and your team are going to stick around. The equity and the upside for sticking around would be on top of the offer, something we would need to sort out, but there would need to be strong conviction that you guys weren't just going to walk out the door. The price we would pay because we see it as uh, having strategic cross-sell, upsell value, and, and we're again, we're placing value on you guys sticking around, would be $8 million. And we'd be comfortable with a mix of cash and stock in the this other company's private, of course. So if you like the upside of the combination, you could take all stock. If you want a mix of cash and stock, we'd be comfortable with that as well. This is your show. Should I? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Take it. Yeah, I, I, I know Scott. I think that we met uh, in New York for the first time. Uh, I, I know Justin. I, I know the added value they have. We were not thinking about the exit, uh, but we are thinking more about, okay, what's our vision? What do we want to achieve in this world? So if we want to partner up with a partner who is growing 60% year on year, who is in the same segment, who are six, seven uh, times bigger than... I can see the added value of, of having such a, such a company as a partner so we can work. I don't know how independently we would be able to work as a management. It's, there's a lot of questions I would, I would need to ask, but I'm not saying no to that, actually, even though it was not our plan at the first place. So Scott, tr- traditional hub and spoke model and PE firms, this is the playbook that gets run. You have an anchor portfolio company. You want to go do sort of hub, you know, add on to it, you know, build around the wheel. Um, do they always have to do 100% majority buyouts or could it be like 60% or 70% of Contentino? I, I, I don't think that would work for a company of this size. I think it would have to be 100%. And I think it's very important from our perspective that the companies are totally integrated and that the engineering teams eventually are integrated and the products, you know, don't stand alone as separate solution so that's important all so right. we need to own it all nisha what do you think about all this craziness happening how would insight look at this i will also caveat by saying our initial starting check is around eight to ten million so definitely a little bit early for us um i'd say i'd probably value this at about 6.5 free i think you have a lot of growth ahead of you and the organic growth is pretty impressive so far um especially given that it's bootstrapped and you could put some cash in and grow that pretty quickly i think um but I, I think the end market is what kind of discounts me a little bit here. And what do you not like about the end market? Agencies are traditionally very fickle buyers. They act like consumers in a lot of ways, weird buying patterns. And it's also really difficult to acquire the, the, this long tail of agencies that it looks like you're going after here. So Bo, sounds like you're about to lose Nisha. You want to let her go or fight? I'll let her go for now, but maybe, ah. we, will leave, maybe we will meet later. <laughs> All right, guys, give Nisha a round of applause. Nisha, come on off the stage. Thank you. All right, David, what are you thinking? Yeah, so you're, you'll, you'll hate my offer. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would say for a small check, I mean, typically at this stage, I would write a check in the you know hundred dollars to $150,000 range. Um, typically, I like to see a little bit more profitability um, or at least above break even on a consistent basis over the last six months. Like that's, that's kind of what we want to see. Um, definitely above our mark. Like we want to see at least a million or two. Um, so you, you've hit that mark. Um, I, I would value this in kind of the $4 million range, um, roughly. So you're do, doing better with Scott over here. Um, and, you know, really my biggest concern is, you know, the, the raising CAC. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be going in the right direction generally. 
Um, and, you know, a deeper understanding around seasonality would be helpful too, because you've mentioned it, but I, I'd like to know what that really is. Um, and, you know, I definitely have some deeper concerns around the target market itself. Um, more, more of a focus question than which market it is at this stage. I don't like the valuation. I mean, <laughs> but uh, but again, you, you have a lot of valid questions. Maybe I can answer them uh, later on. But but yeah, thank you. All right, very good, David. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So down to two here. Um, down to two. So Bo, you're trying to obviously drive up valuation. You've got Justin. That check max check size is two fifty. Um, but did, and did you give a did you give a price, Justin, at two fifty two hundred fifty? around a five to six range. Okay. So, so sort of, again, your show here, you know, sort of where both of our heads are at. What do you want to do? Yeah. Do you know each other actually? No. So, so, <laughs> all right. I don't know where this is going. I was expecting, uh, well, some, sometimes what's happening. I'm a rookie in this game. You know, it, I, I was bootstrapper for after I graduated. It was all I know, but I, I've seen that sometimes when there are, uh, uh, meeting the forces, like joining the forces, uh, different uh, funds, it sometimes plays well, sometimes not. So, so maybe the discussion would be if that would be something what what they would be open to. But I actually like uh, the idea what Scott uh, just presented that maybe, as the guy said, I'm aware of it. We are not so sexy for the VC uh, at the moment, but. Uh, we have a lot of potential ahead and perhaps there can be opportunity of how we can uh, build our vision with a stronger partner with some other company who is in the space and how can create great knowledge share and how can we work independently. So so I, I like uh, the idea of Scotland. I would like to discuss it later on. More with Scott. So give Justin a round of applause. Justin with Forrest going off. All right, so just for the sake of education, because this is how these negotiations would actually happen. So, Bo, if it, let's say you did go down the path of doing a deal that was worth $8 million total, is there a minimum amount of cash that you and your founders would want you know, of the $8 million versus stock in the parent company? We are not thinking about it this way. So, so I don't think that we want to uh, pay off. There, there might be some, some secondary... Uh, I mean, we, we were always thinking we were drafting, uh, drafting and creating the growth plans based on the growth capital. So this is where we are kind of confident, like what we can do with the money. With this one, I don't know, we would need to think about it. So Scott, what, what would you like to see in terms of split of cash versus stock or earn out? Well, I usually try to leave it open because I'm interested in the answer. And that's the best answer to hear is that they don't really want a bunch of cash. They want to be convicted that the one plus one equals three or whatever. Um, in the grand scheme of things, if we're really excited about the company, we personally prefer to pay cash because we want to own as much equity as we can in the combined entity. But if founders are believers and willing to roll the dice and partner and go forward, uh, I think that's a very good answer. All right. So we'll see what happens, guys. Give it up for Scott at, uh, at Camber. That was great, man. Thanks. All right, Bo. Thanks, Scott. All right, so what do you, what, what, fair questions, you think? Is sort of what you expected? Very, very valid question, actually. That's, that's what I'm hearing, to be honest, uh, a lot lately. Uh, this is a great experience. I was never raising capital before. It's a, it's a new journey. And one of the reasons why we're raising capital and not taking a debt is 
one uh, we want to have a good board of directors we want to have someone who can challenge the management team the right way uh, this was our challenge for the past few, few years that we didn't have the advisor we didn't have someone to talk to pick up the phone and hey do you think that this is the right thing to do and poking us like look at this number this should look different you know we didn't have the external push uh, and secondly we have a little broken cap table and we would like to fix that so that's one of the reasons why we are also raising capital very well and just to know um you can use debt to buy out co-founders uh we see it all the time uh i, I will also say um just if you ever want to jack the price above eight million um we would love to put maybe five million of debt on top of that so now the total deal price is something like 13 million write it against the you plus the parent company you get what you want you got to agree to them on a higher price but they don't have to put as much as much equity into the deal you get of course like a good <laughs> private equity firm all right very good well guys give it up for bo really brave hell of a story